The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, this summer I was riding my horse working cattle. What are y'all laughing at, Lane? You think you're the only real cowboy in the room? Lane's a real cowboy. Between me and you, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're more the cowboy than I am. Uh, Children, you are dismissed uh, to go to class. If you would put the picture up there, CAC, I want evidence. Do you see the guy on the right side? Boom. That's me. That's me, Mickey, and you were doubting me. So this summer, I was very blessed to be able to take a sabbatical. The church gave me a sabbatical. And uh, one of those weeks, I went away to someone's ranch, and it's a working ranch in Colorado. It was absolutely fabulous. It was beautiful. Great time of prayer and seeking the Lord's will for our church and, and uh, the direction of where he had to have, have us to go. But it's an actual working cattle ranch. And so one day, the, the cattle ranch, the ranch hands came up to me and said, Hey, would you like to go riding horses one day? I said, Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. And so they lined it up on Thursday before you go home. We'll come and get you. And so when they came to get me, they actually said, Hey, we were just going to let you ride horses, but actually we have some cattle who have gotten into a field they're not supposed to be. There must have been a gate open or there must have been a gate down or something, a fence down. And so we're going to actually work some cattle. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. Maybe scary, but it's going to be awesome. So we got on horses and uh, they were careful to give me a horse that I think is almost dead. And, uh, I mean, I, I literally was tired of kicking the horse saying, come on, would you go? I mean, they're like, give him this one. City Slicker don't need a real horse. And so they put me on that horse, and, and we had fun working the cattle, and they would go down a, 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 a mountainside, and there would be a gate up there, and we'd have to, the three horses, we'd have to kind of corral them. And it's real slow-paced. I kind of pictured like like Gunsmoke or something. I just saw them riding fast. Well, you don't go fast, you ride slow, and, and And just in case you're ever on a horse, you need to know this stuff. And so you uh, ride them up and kind of force them to go out the gate. Well, we were finally done. It was hot. I was thirsty. My back's always sore. I live with a sore back. And so by the end of riding a horse, I was super sore. I was getting a little saddle soreness. And I was like, I think we're almost done. We got it. And when they said, okay, good, good job. Then they said, now we got to find some horses. And I was like, what do you mean we got to find horses? I don't know if you can tell from the picture, but I mean, you're talking about miles and miles of mountain range here. And I said, we got to find horses? And they're like, yeah, we've got to trade out one of our horses. We've worked them too much. We're going to trade them out and get one. I said, well, okay. You know, inside I'm going, I just want to go home. I just want to go sit on the couch and drink some water. And uh, they were like, I said, do you know where they are? And he was like, no, I really don't. And I was like, you're kidding, right? He said, no, I really don't. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm like processing, this could be days of us looking for a horse, you know? And so we come to this area and it's kind of like this, this corral almost. I'm sure I'm getting all the words wrong and that real cowboys are probably like, shut up, you're using all the wrong words. Just go with me here. So there was two gates and I'm not kidding. There was two gates and we're, I was kind of like, okay, so this gate I could tell just led to miles and miles of mountain range. And this gate, the same, miles and miles going the other way. In fact, we were in the shadows of the continental divide. So it literally looked like half of the country went that way and the other half went that way. And and I looked at him and he was like, I said, do you have any idea where they are? And he was like, let's go this way. And I was like, all right. So I followed him. We're riding. Then we started picking up pace. We're riding. I'm like, oh, here we go. And we go over a couple of mountain ranges or a couple of hills, I guess they are. And then we come over and there's this whole water and all the horses are there. And I was never so happy to find those horses. And so it was very valuable to have someone tell me, 
we need to go through this gate, not that gate. Because had we gone through the wrong gate, it could have been a miserable existence. And that's where we're going with, with the text today. Jesus has reached the end of his sermon. Uh, the first sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying it. It's chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And as he comes to the end of his sermon, he is confronting us with a choice of two gates. We are just like that, uh, but in life. We, we are at a confrontation. We have to make a choice. There's two gates to choose from. And Jesus wants us to make sure that we're not deceived, that we don't misunderstand. We don't just look because not all is as it appears. And so the, the text has this idea of warning, beware, be careful, make this choice. Don't make the wrong choice. And he tells us which choice in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Now he feels the need to tell us very clearly, take that gate. Because it appears that everything inside of us would say, I want to take the other gate. And so Jesus is warning us that you must choose. And the reason he's so, he commands us, take the narrow gate against our own inclinations, against the crowd, against what we see, is because he knows where the path leads. He knows that the narrow gate leads over a a more confining, restrictive path, over some mountain ranges, and then into a big, open, glorious field of eternal enjoyment. And the other one over here is the exact opposite. It's a broad, wide gate. And there's all kinds of people on this path. And they look like they're having a great time. But what Jesus wants you to know is, is at the end of that, over a few mountain ranges, there is a steep cliff that they are going to fall off to their own destruction. So Jesus is at the end of his sermon... And he's been painting the picture of these two paths in his sermon. And these two gates now, he says, there's a broad gate that leads to one path. There's a narrow gate that leads to the other. And I want you to know you must choose the narrow gate. And he says, now I know when you look at the two gates and the two paths, I know what you're thinking. When you look at the broad path, it looks, it looks easy. It's broad. It's wide open. There's... Lots of room, and, and he says, and, and there's a lot of people that are going that way, and, and it's very hard not to, to choose that way. He says, but trust me, it ends in destruction. He says, and I know this narrow gate, it looks hard to get through, and, and I know it looks narrow and confining and, and hard to stay on the path. And he says, but trust me, it's going somewhere you want to go. It leads to life. And so today he's forcing us to choose. He commands us to choose. And he commands us to choose the narrow gate as he comes to the end of his sermon. Father God, we ask you to help every person in this room to choose carefully this morning. May we all choose the narrow gate as you command us to. Give us the grace, the empowerment the desire, the willingness to enter in your narrow gate. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In this passage, Jesus does two things at the end of his sermon. He says, look, there's two paths. I want you to choose a narrow gate. But you also need to understand there's two prophets or two leaders. The false prophet is going to constantly try to lead you down that broad, 
easy path, but it leads to destruction. So beware of the false prophets. So we're going to look at the two paths and then the two prophets, making just several observations. First of all, let's just make it obvious that the narrow gate is the way of Jesus Christ. That's why he says to choose it. This is the way about which Jesus has been speaking in his Sermon on the Mount. He's been saying, hey, the the lifestyle of my disciples is is constraining. It's different than the broad lifestyle of the world. And he says the way you enter into the gate, or more, more accurately in the Beatitudes, he described the character of those who enter the narrow gate and who are on the pathway of life. He describes them in the Beatitudes as those who are humble, those who are poor in spirit. And he says that those who are bankrupt spiritually understand that the the way into the gate is not saying, hey, look at me, I'm good enough to enter. Open the doors. That's the way you get in the broad gate. He says, but the way to get in the narrow gate is to acknowledge I'm not good enough, I'm sinful. And I am desperately wicked and I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to bribe you with. I have nothing to give you to make you willing to open the door. And so my only hope, all of our only hope is to come to this narrow gate and plead for mercy. Ask God, would you please allow me to come in because I'm trusting in your promise as the gatekeeper. And you said you'd give me credit for the merit, for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That that's my only hope is to, when I'm at the gate and saying, hey, can I come in, is to point to Jesus and say, I'm not worthy, but you're going to give me credit for Jesus' worthiness, his, his righteousness. And so the narrow gate is described as those who are humble and broken in spirit, poor in spirit, and meek. And that's not a natural attitude. That's the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts, seeing, revealing our own sin to us so that we would be broken over it and look for a Savior to forgive us of our sins. Like Paul, we should all come to the gate and say, I'm the chief of sinners. I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful that by your grace. So the, the narrow gate is the gate of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. The narrow gate is, is the way that Jesus, Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the gate, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this narrow gate of grace through Jesus Christ enters into the life, Of abundant life. He says, I came that you may have abundant life and eternal life. At the same time, the broad gate leads to destruction. And so Jesus comes to the end of his sermon, having been teaching us about the the character of a disciple and the norms of the kingdom of God, the life of a disciple. And he says, now I want you to choose. I want you to choose carefully. I want you to think deeply on what I've been saying And each one of us must choose. But the choice is not a choice of, should I be a better person or not? In fact, D.A. Carson says it well. He says, nothing could be more calamitous than to meditate long and hard on Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then to resolve to improve a little. How tragic would it be to hear the Sermon on the Mount 
and to do what so many people do with this message and turn it into a moralistic guide to, to live a little more like Jesus lived. And Carson is right. How tragic would it be to hear this message and then just resolve, yeah, I'm going to be a little better. That's not the choice he's calling us to make. The choice he's calling us to make is between Jesus Christ and anyone or anything else. He's saying, choose me, choose Jesus, choose grace, choose the free gift of forgiveness and righteousness, and I'll give you life abundant and eternal. I think it's interesting to note, too, in fact, some uh, scholars translate the Greek a little differently than we have it here, and either way you get the same point, but I like the, the idea of thinking of it this way, too, that some translate the Greek to say that there's only one gate. There's, there's all these people on the broad way, in the broad path, and they're, they're just going about their day, and over here, off to the side of this broad field, is this very narrow gate, it's easily missed. It's very easy to, to miss it. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you all are, are over in this broad path and it's leading to destruction. And I'm telling you, there's this narrow gate. Choose to enter the gate. Escape the path you are on. And so what we need to realize is that all of us have already made a choice. We're already, we, when we sin, we are already choosing to rebel against God. It's an act of stiff-necked rebellion and resistance to the, to the will of God, to the call of God. There's a, there's a sinful rebellion and a guilt in us that, that we, we're heading on our own free will. We're choosing to head down this path of destruction. And God is graciously offering a way of escape through the narrow gate. And so to, to not choose the narrow gate is already choosing... A path of destruction. And so Jesus is calling to all who are walking down this broad, easy path of destruction. And he's saying, hey, choose to, to turn away from the crowd. Choose to listen to me long enough to, to look and find the narrow gate. Don't just go mindlessly down this path. It seems easy and fun because you're having a banquet. But as one writer calls it, it's the banquet in the grave. And you're, you're down a path of destruction and, and just let these words register and look for the narrow gate and, and go against the flow of, of mass humanity and dare to turn. And that's what repentance is, is turning in faith to walk and trust in Christ and enter into the narrow gate. So to not choose is to choose. There's, there's no... Alternatives. It's just binary. Either you enter the narrow gate or you don't. Carson goes on to say a person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He walks the road that leads to life or he walks the road that leads to destruction. There is no third alternative. Nothing, nothing at all could have more crucial significance than following Jesus. So each one of us are on the broad path until we choose to enter the narrow gate by faith in Jesus Christ. What path are you on? There's no in-between. Jesus is confronting us. We must choose what path are we on. It's like Moses when he had the word of God for the people of God, for Israel. 
And he, he had half the Israel stand on one mountain and said, recite the blessings of God's law and God's word. And he had the other half stand on another mountain. And he said, recite the curses of God's word. And he said, blessings and curses. This is your choice. Life or death. And then he says, choose life. That's what Jesus is saying. Two gates, two destinations. Choose life. Choose grace and mercy. Which path are you on? Which field are you living in? Which gate have you entered? Let's consider what Jesus means, though, in verse 13 and 14. He talks about it being easy and hard. He says, the gate is wide and the way is easy. And then he talks about the narrow. He says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. So the Broad way is easy, the narrow way is hard. What does he mean when he says it is hard and easy? Well, the Greek word translated easy literally means broad, spacious, and roomy. John Stott says the broad path then is easy because there is plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions, laxity of morals. It's the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, has no boundaries of, of either thoughts or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart in its fallenness. Superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, censoriousness, these things do not have to be learned or cultivated. Effort is needed to resist them. No effort is required to practice them. The broad way is easy because it's basically do whatever you want to do. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever your sinful nature desires. It looks easy. It looks fun. It looks great. But just like the Proverbs in your scriptures do, they bring the destination before your eyes and confront you. This is where it leads. It leads to destruction. Jesus says, wisdom, eternal perspective is what's required to choose the right gate. This contrasts with the narrow path, which Jesus requires of us and says, The narrow path is hard in that it is confining and constrictive and restricting your your ideas and your thoughts and your behavior. We're held accountable to the truth that God has revealed. We can't believe whatever we want to believe, do whatever we want to do. We have to be accountable to God's revealed will. There are curbs and there are boundaries on our conduct and on our thought. We are constantly having, as we've studied the Lord's Prayer, we're constantly having to realign ourselves to the, to the Lord's name, His character, His name, His glory, and to the kingdom of God, His reign and His rule, and to the will of God. Thy, thy, your, you know, blessed, it says, Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're constantly coming back to what is it that pleases the Lord? We're constantly having to remind ourselves that we're not the God of our own lives, that we have to depend on God for our daily bread, for our own forgiveness, and for our overcoming of sin. 
In the way of Christ, we are restricted from setting goals that are contrary to God's will. We are restricted from allowing anything else to capture our hearts above Christ. And so there is a restrainment. There is a restriction. There is a a sense of it's hard. There's a battle that we constantly are waging war by the Spirit's empowerment, waging war against sin in our lives. And so the way of Christ, in that sense, is narrow and hard. It's hard in other ways. There are people in prison that are receiving beatings that are even murdered because they've chosen Christ. All they have to do is recant. All they have to do is deny Christ and they go back to the easy, broad path. But I feel like Jesus is saying, but all, there, all, all of this is, is misleading. It's deceptive. He's revealing the, the reality that... The, the, What you see is not all that there is. In our better days, we know that these restraints on our life in Christ are good for us. We understand they're like a parachute. You jump out of an airplane and you're glad there's a parachute restraining you, right? Because it's going to save you from falling to your death. And the restraint actually allows you to enjoy the view, enjoy the journey. And so, yeah, it's deceptive because it's deceptively good. We learn over time to realize how good those curbs are, how good those boundaries are, how good this narrow path is that keeps us from getting off into destructive habits and destructive behavior. And so we learn to to appreciate this harder way as it is the more blessed way. It's also deceptive because oftentimes the, the blessings of this narrow path the life of faith, the life of obedience to Christ is inward blessings, an inward joy, an inward, inward satisfaction, an inward satisfaction of the soul and, and an inward peace that you just can't see outwardly all the time. Though someone may be suffering outwardly. I've seen many times in pastoral situations as I get to a close-up view to, to a mature believer when they're suffering through a tragic experience of something that you just in the human mind it's just like this is unconscionable but the person of god in in that encounter tells me how they are okay that god is faithful it's only those outwardly going oh my gosh this is horrible how could this be but the person who's walked a lifetime on this path with God and sees his faithfulness, there's a, there's a steadfast rock, a foundation that undergirds them. There's a soul satisfaction and, and it's a beautiful thing. But you can't see it. And so that path looks hard and it looks, it looks painful and it looks like, why would I choose that path? It's deceptively good. At the same time, the broad path is deceptively hollow deceptively destructive, the broad path. People on the broad path doing whatever they want, it looks like they're having a great time. I mean, no one's telling them what to do. They're, doing, they're the God of their own life. They don't have restrictions. They don't have curves. They don't have to work. Whatever they feel like that day. But you and I, if we remember what it was like truly on that road, how empty and how hollow it was and how unsatisfying it was and how the Lord use that to draw you to him and how when you don't have the right relationship with God how you take all the good gifts that God has given you and you destroy them because you try to make them your God and they weren't designed to be your God 
a good spouse is destroyed by you trying to make them satisfy you in ways that only God can satisfy you. Good hobbies are destroyed because they leave you empty and you become so obsessed with them that you ruin them and you can't even enjoy them anymore. The way that is broad and looks like fun and looks like no restraints, it leaves you empty. And in the end, you have no relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and it leads to eternal destruction. So Jesus is saying these are very deceptive truths that I want to reveal to you. The path that seems narrow and restrictive and hard, it actually leads to abundant life and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the path that seems broad and fun and easy, it's actually very sad and will leave you empty, will leave you enslaved, and will lead you to destruction eternally. Due to such deception, no wonder we see in verse 13 and 14 again, many people choose the broad path, few choose the narrow. Jesus says, many travel the wide path of destruction, few travel the path that's narrow and leads to life. And it's because we just all know the temptation to do what feels good. We all know the temptation to go with the crowd. We never outgrow that temptation. But God says that's not the way it's going to be with my people. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been completely contrasting culture. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this is a very counter-cultural movement. And so we see the masses that are moving and saying, hey, don't be judgmental. Hey, don't say there's only one way. Hey, don't, don't tell me how to live. Jesus says that is the path that most people want to go. That is the path, path most, most people choose. But we need to learn, as disciples of Jesus, we're not going to be in the in crowd. That's not the path of Jesus. We're not going to be the culturally accepted people. We're going to be living a life that is counter to culture. We're going to have to be swimming upstream, swimming against the stream, choosing the things that, don't, that even our own sinful flesh doesn't want to do, but knows that it is right and good and perfect in God's eyes. When everyone else is going this way and there's a whole flow and there's a whole movement against it. So Jesus has set up a clear choice. Narrow path that leads to life. A broad path that leads to destruction. We're all choosing one of those paths right now. The problem again is they are deceptive. The broad path looks like it leads to life and fun and joy and happiness, but it leads in destruction. And the narrow path looks like it's hard and no fun and not worth it, but it leads to abundant life and eternal life. So Jesus is passionately crying, sending out a clarion call, choose the narrow path. And the implications are massive. This is why Jesus tells us how to spot false prophets in verses 15 through 19. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so he's saying this is very, very dangerous. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or Figs from thistles? No. 
And so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased tree bears bad fruit. In fact, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Destruction. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. So he's warning us about false prophets. There's prophets at the gates. There's prophets along the path that are saying, Thus said the Lord. That's what a prophet is. A prophet in the Old Testament was someone who said, Here's what God says. Thus said the Lord. He was the mouthpiece of God, declaring to God's people what God had said. Most of us, when we hear prophets, we think about someone telling the future. Well, that was a little small piece of what they did. Every now and then they would say, here's how this is going to end. You're going to be exiled if you don't repent. But even their telling of future events was, was designed to teach them what God wanted for their life today. And so the prophet said, here's God's word. Here's God's will. Here's what God's want, God wants for his people. Listen, heed the word of God because life and death, blessings and curse hang in the balance of what you do with God's word. Here he's talking about false prophets, saying beware of false prophets. The word could literally be translated pseudo-prophets. They're pseudo-prophets. They look like prophets. They sound like prophets. They say, they don't say, here's what the devil says. They say, here's what God says. They say, here's what God's word really means. And they tickle your ears to say the things that you want to hear about the broad path. He says, listen, they're being too dogmatic over there. They're being too narrow-minded over there. They're, they're, they're not right to say Jesus the way. Jesus was providing an example of the moral lifestyle you should live. Come walk with us. This is the path of love. This is the path of non-judgmentalism. And so pseudo-prophets pretend and present themselves as presenting the word of God... When they're not really doing that, they're very, very dangerous. Paul speaks in his New Testament about when he's leaving a church, a new church, and he's going, he says, now beware of prophets, false prophets who will rise up among you. They are like wolves. And so it's not that they come from the outside looking clearly as contrary to God's word, contrary to Jesus. They're from the inside looking like sheep, but they're really ravenous wolves seeking to devour sheep in disguise. And that's scary. So he says, well, how will you know them? He says, you'll know them by their fruit. And so when someone starts to tweak the gospel, someone starts to tweak The gospel, which is you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not gospel, it's not Jesus plus good behavior. The gospel is not Jesus plus enough repentance. The gospel is you repent away from anything but Jesus. And then having come to life in Jesus, he leads you away from sin. Drastically different, subtle, subtle change. Now, the false prophets that Jesus is talking about, who is it? In the Sermon on the Mount, who has Jesus been slamming week after week? 
In the Sermon on the Mount, who has Jesus been contradicting their teachings? You heard them say, but I say. You heard them say, but I say. Who is it? Yeah, the scribes and Pharisees. Who were the scribes and Pharisees? They were the preachers. They're the ones dressed up in an ornate robe, looking spiritual and religious, and had the word of God, and they studied it, they memorized it, they were the experts of the word of God. And they said, you have heard it, or that, no, they said, do not kill. And then they said, as long as you don't kill, you've kept these the will of God here. And they said all these teachings that were watering down the word of God so that they could measure up in their own righteousness so that when they stood at the gate, they would say, well, hold on, I never killed anybody. When I got the divorce, I gave the piece of paper. I mean, I, I never, never did all these things, outward physical behaviors. And, God, and Jesus said, you've heard them say, you shall not kill, but I tell you, If you're angry in your heart, you've broken that command. You can't do this. Your righteousness has to be greater than the righteousness of these religious scribes and Pharisees. And at that point, we're broken. And we're we're bankrupt spiritually. We realize, I can't be good enough. And he says, I'll give you credit for Jesus' righteousness. It's grace. Grace, grace, grace. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you've heard my sermon. You've heard it's about grace. It's hurt. You've heard it's not about self-righteousness. It's not about keeping the rules of religion. It's not about praying these beautiful prayers for everyone to see you and think you're religious. It's not about all those things. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ and getting eternal life as a gift. And so he says, look at their fruit. And those, those people who are teaching you, those people who are leading your community groups, those people who are, who are sharing the word of God with you in this church or any church that you belong to, he says, look at their fruit. And that, that includes three areas. Look at the personal character. Look at their personal conduct. And look at the content of their teaching. Does their character reflect the character of Christ? Does their character reflect the character of the disciples in the Beatitudes? Are they humble, poor in spirit? Are they reflecting the Spirit of God, pouring love, the fruit of the Spirit? Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see the meekness of Christ? It doesn't mean they're perfect, but do you see that as the overall character growing and increasing in their life? If not, beware. We notice the the character of their lives, we we notice their conduct. Is their lifestyles similar to the lifestyle of Christ? Are they living out the life that Christ calls us to? But also, we look at the content of their teaching, as we said. Are they preaching and teaching the true gospel, that it is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone? And that that produces godly living, and not the other way around. And then finally... The fruit of their ministry includes the idea of do you see God raising up, equipping others for the same character, content, character, conduct, and content? Do you see the fruit of their teaching ministry leading others to live like Christ? 
to have his character and to teach the word of God and share the gospel faithfully. He says, if you don't see that, if you see little tweaking of it, that's very dangerous. So we need to all have a little decision time. What path are you choosing? What gate? Jesus said in John ten nine, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we sing this closing song, would you move powerfully in our hearts? May every person here be confronted with this choice. May we realize that we cannot be good enough to earn salvation. I ask you, every person here, would you please just spend time privately with the Lord? Call out to Him for mercy. Tell Him, I want to choose you, Jesus. I believe you're the gate to eternal life. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your perfections. I thank you for your grace. I recognize my own desperate need for you because I am not righteous. And may the God of all grace save you, adopt you as his child, give you abundant eternal life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.